Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Awesome. So good to see you all. If we've never met, we've just met on video. My name is Rob Stennett, and uh, Pastor Ross is in One Chapel Kyle today, speaking there, and so I'm in charge, so buckle up. <laughs> I'm so excited to share those scriptures with you this morning. Uh, if you did not get message notes in the way in, you can raise your hand right there. The ushers will make sure you get those. It's a great way to follow along with today's message. All right, um, we'll go ahead and start here. Uh, as we start, I want to take a moment and just pray, and then we'll begin. So pray with me, One Chapel. Lord Jesus, uh, we welcome you into this place. I pray today that our hearts our minds would be open up, Lord, and we would be able to hear your words, Lord. Speak to us. Let us grow closer to you. In your name, amen. We love, as a culture, to disagree, and this truth was brought to light one more time this week. It, but it's, it actually goes far way back. In Germany, in 1888, there was this postcard, and this postcard went out, and it went viral, at least viral for 1888. It was kind of this big dividing line of like what people saw, and so the postcard looked like this. And so if you can see this picture here, there were two people who would say different things. One group of people would say, oh, I look at this, and I see an old woman. Who sees the old woman when they look at this? Other people would look at it and say, no, I see a young woman right there. And who sees the young woman when they look at it? <laughs> yeah, and so if you look here, it's like you see that's kind of the eye and the nose and the mouth. And so that's kind of the old widow that they would call it. And then if you look right there another way, it's like that's the eyelash and the ear and the face. And so it caused all this big dividing culture of like, no, who, see, who all sees the old woman now? Does everyone see it? Okay. Nose, eyeball, mouth. Mind blown. Wow. <laughs> now, who sees the young woman? Eyelash, chin, neck, ear, feather coming up like that. And so <laughs> the artist had no idea what people were talking about when he drew it. And people would have this raging debating uh, about this, about what you see when you look at it. And it's weird. You can kind of see it both ways now. But then let's flash forward now to 2015 when there was another divide in our culture, and that was this picture right here. <laughs> Some of you, when you look at it, who sees yellow and gold when they look at that dress? Raise your hand, yellow and gold. Who sees black and blue when you look at it? Raise your hand. Wow, one more time, yellow and gold? Sorry, white and gold, white and gold? Black and blue. See, look, we're looking at the same picture. It's amazing. But we see different things. I know, it's weird. Now, this week, let's flash forward now to Wednesday. <laughs> and on Wednesday, once again, our culture got into a big debate. Most of you know about this and are sick of it, but I can't get over how amazing it is because this clip right here played and divided the world. Listen carefully. Laurel. 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 Who just heard Yanny when that was played? Who just heard Laurel when that was played? Team Laurel? Team Yanny. Team Laurel? Team Yanny. Play it one more time and this time try to listen for the thing Laurel. that you didn't hear. Laurel. 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 Okay, who heard Yanny? Who heard Laurel? <laughs> so, 
I'm Team Yanny, so I think you're right. And so uh, everyone, <laughs> everyone on Team Yanny, we're going out to lunch afterwards. Everyone else, uh, <laughs> you can sit at the sad table. I don't know. <laughs> There's something that happens with these little debates, and it's amazing. Each one of these that I mentioned, especially the last two, people would get passionate, and they would say, they would do kind of what I just did there, and they would say, no, this is my team. This is my side. This is the right answer. And it's amazing how we can look at one thing that's the exact same, listen to one thing that's the exact same, and come up with very different solutions. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 14. He was talking about these type of agreements that happen, disagreements that happen in the church, and these little things that we look at, and all of a sudden it's like, no, this is the right way. And then another group would say, no, you're wrong. This is the way we should be living. This is the way we should be doing things. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1, or you can follow along the screens. I'm going to read the uh, first couple of verses here. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look at, down and condemn him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For he will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord God, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account to himself, to God. So Paul here is talking with an ama about a major issue that happens about Christians and church life, and this issue has been happening for 2,000 years. The core question is this this morning. How do I accept other Christians when I disagree with their beliefs or lifestyle? It seems simple. We're called to love other no one another. We're called to be unified. We're called to all be the in this together. I was uh, reading my five-year-old or my six-year-old Abby. She's in kindergarten, a story the other night, and we were finishing the story, and I was tucking her into bed, and she's like, hey, Dad, do you know what the golden rule is? And I was like, why don't you tell me? And she's like, it's to treat others the way that you want to be treated. She's like, isn't that a good rule? And I was like, yeah, it is. And she's like, everyone follows that rule, right? And I was like, oh, you're cute. <laughs> And that innocence of like, oh, this rule seems to make sense, so surely everyone lives their life this way. And as we hear this, we're like, well, of course that doesn't happen. And so why? Where, does, where do things go wrong? See, here's the thing. The Bible's very clear about some, of, uh, some issues. The Bible's very clear. Don't steal. Don't lie. Adultery's out. Cheating is out. Murder is flat out wrong. These are things that the Bible is crystal clear about. Then there are other areas of scripture of which the Bible doesn't speak about. There are areas that are a little bit more gray and unclear. 
And these, this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 14. Some of the issues that he highlights are what should a Christian eat? When should a Christian worship? Should you abstain from alcohol or is moderation okay? These were the specific issues that the Apostle Paul was addressing in these verses, but the list can and has go on and on. Can Christians go dancing? If yes, what type of dances are okay and not okay? Can Christians play cards? If yes, what kind of card games? Can Christians go to movies? If yes, do you watch PG-13 or R movies, or do true Christians only watch Netflix with the kids filter on, and even then 30% of those movies are out? Can Christians watch TV? If so, what type of shows? Can Christians drive cars? Can Christians use electricity? Can Christians put on makeup? Every one of these issues that I've just listed, some of them are like, oh wow, that's a big debate. Some of them seem funny. Every one of them has split a church. And so think about this. These are things that have split a church in two. If we were to survey about the, in this room what translation of the Bible some should use, or even bigger, if we went to the greater Austin churches, just in Austin alone, and surveyed every church and said, hey, what translation of the Bible is the best translation, is the right translation? Some would say NIV. NIV is the best translation. Others would say NASB. That is the best translation. Some would say the New Living Translation is the best translation. Or the New King James Version. That's the best translation. Others would say, no, 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 you have it wrong. The message, the message that Eugene Peterson wrote to really make, he said, I'm writing the Bible in American so Americans can understand it. That's the best translation. And then there are many who would say the King James Version is the one and only translation. That's the translation to use. And so the reality is these issues are preferences. Say it with me, preferences. Okay, these issues are preferences, which means we're going to have differences. You have to stop right now and settle in your heart. People can read different translations of the Bible and love God just the same. And I think for some of us, it's like, oh, that's an obvious thing. For others, it's like, ah, I don't know about that. And we can get into really uh, angered reason why. And so as we go through this issue as well, one of the easier ways to look at it is to not look at it within Christianity, but to look at it within culture as we were just looking at. There are all sorts of issues that divide culture, and especially once people are passionate about something, it'll divide these subcultures. You know, there's Star Trek versus Star Wars for all the nerds in here. Like, that's like a big dividing issue, and I'm one of them. So uh, that's a big dividing, dividing issue. For the techies, there's iPhone, iPad or sorry, iPhone versus Android. iPhone versus Android, like if you ever talk to phone people who are really passionate about this, they will debate this subject. Hulu versus Netflix, Coke versus Pepsi. These are some of the things that are just kind of more innocent things that people will still get really passionate about and debate about. I learned an issue that was, I think, a great way to look at the way that we fight, and this issue I kind of stumbled into and it was uh, about the time that I got into writing about being a dad. I'm, I do some, I'm an author, I've written some books, and so I started working on this book about being a dad. And as I was writing about this issue, I'd kind of write about different stories in my life, and I realized as I was writing about these stories that there was something called the mommy wars where mothers and parents would get really upset about different issues. So I, I kind of wrote and told this story. I can't believe I'm about to tell this story. <laughs> I wrote and told this story about the day that uh, my her daughter Abby was born. And so this day was there and um, it was about midnight and Sarah was like, 
uh, we were there. I was actually working on a video project. I had just turned it in, was getting ready to go to bed. We were up like unusually late. And Sarah looks at me, and this was, she was 36 weeks pregnant, which means about four weeks before the baby was due. And she looks at me and she says, hey, Rob, uh, my water just broke. And I was like, oh, this is four weeks away. Like, this is not okay. And she's like, no, the water just broke. We got to go to the hospital. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> and she sort of looked at me with a look that said, when your water breaks, you can have an opinion about this. And so I said, all right, <laughs> we're going. And so we loaded up our bags. It was my first. My other kids were born kind of middle of the afternoon. So this is my first, like, oh, wow, it was midnight. We didn't have our bags packed. We didn't have a plan. And so we kind of loaded up bags. We had Grandma and Grandpa come over to watch the kids. And we rushed to the hospital. And so we're there. We're at the hospital. And things are there. And they're progressing. But our last, our second daughter, Claire, took about 12 hours to be born. So that was kind of what I was bracing for was, like, 12 hours. All right, that's how long this is going to take. And so it's, like, hours four and she's uh, being monitored and that sort of stuff but she's doing all natural which means she's not hooked up to anything so she can walk around a little bit and so she's there and it's about four hours in she's at like seven or eight and then she's like hey uh, I need to go to the bathroom and so I was like okay sure and so we go and I kind of help her and I take her to the bathroom and I sit her down and then she's sitting there and she looks at me and she has this look in her eyes and she says the baby's coming. And I said, I know. <laughs> Isn't this beautiful? <laughs> We're going to be parents again. <laughs> this is so exciting. This is what we've been looking for. And then her face got really afraid, and she's like, no, the baby's coming right now. <laughs> And there's no doctors in a room. There's no nurses. We're sitting in the bathroom. She's sitting there, and the baby's like, coming. And so I run into the hallway and I'm like, we have a code toilet baby uh, happening right now. <laughs> and so like all of a sudden, like I'm running, I'm looking to find like someone in some sort of uniform, just like help me. Like even another dad, I'm like, come on, we need backup. Like, let's go. <laughs> I need help. I can't be in there alone. So then all of a sudden the doctors and nurses kind of rush in and they help us and they kind of take her to the bed and we like deliver the baby right there. And it was like the baby was this close to being born on the toilet, which was uh, pretty incredible. <laughs> and so I've told this story, which I know you're like, why are you telling this story? I've told this story because as I was sharing about my life and parenting journey and like, hey, I'm trying to be vulnerable and trying to figure this out, I found that like other parents were often, especially in the blogging community, on the online community, that sort of thing, other parents were much more quick to be judgmental, were much more quick to say, you did this wrong, you have to do this better, what are you doing, this is the wrong way to go. And if you want to post about any of these things online and watch what happens, post about vaccines. Post about discipline, your opinion about kid discipline. Naps, screen time, snacks. There are all these things that you can post about as a parent, and it's not like encouraging, like, hey, this is kind of what we do. It's like Braveheart makeup comes on, and it's like, I'm going to war. And it's like the two sides. It's like there's this side and there's this side, and our goal is to destroy each other. And so they've called this thing uh, the mommy wars, kind of in blog communities. And it's parent wars, it's daddy wars, it's whatever else. Don't get hung up on that word. But it's this idea which these parents should be unified. There's so many things that parents have in common. 
Parents all know what it's like to have a kid who won't take a nap. Parents all know what it's like to work really hard on a meal only to have your kids say, I want a corn dog. <laughs> Parents know how it feels to see your kid fall and you want to hold him. Parents know that worried pit in your stomach when it's late and your child still hasn't come home. Parents are all unified in these things, and we should be lifting each other up. We should be pushing each other. But what happens in so many parenting communities is there's war about it. And as like, as a, as I'm not a mom, uh, I don't quite understand like all these different things. But as I was looking outside, I was like, shouldn't this community be supporting each other? And then you know the revelation I had, I was like, oh, this is how people see the church. Shouldn't this community be supporting each other? Shouldn't this community be loving each other? But the church, what it's often known for is the community that picks each other apart. The community that says, oh, you're doing it wrong. Oh, that's how you worship. Oh, you didn't do this. Oh, you know, and just kind of picking at you and saying, well, you're doing this wrong. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 14. Do not do this. We are all united in our love for Jesus. All Christians, everyone at this church is united in our love for Jesus. We're united in the, our belief in the power of the cross. We're united in the way stories like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son have moved us. And yet, you know what's amazing, One Chapel? There are 38,000 Christian denominations in the world today. 38,000. That means there's a lot of preferences. There's a lot of things that have kind of torn churches apart that have made people drift apart from each other. And this is the one thing that happens when my list doesn't match up with your list. And there's no clear scripture regarding this. Things can quickly turn into, I'm right and you're wrong. And what that happens is it makes it difficult for us and it makes it difficult for me to love you, to accept you, to include you in my circle of friends. And so this is where friendships are broken, people leave the church, church splits happen. And this is not the design that Paul was talking about in Romans 14. In fact, Jesus talked about this same idea in the Gospel of John, in John 17. And this verse is so important to us that it is our namesake. It is the reason that we are called one chapel. This passage right here. John 17, starting at verse 20, says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is a really big idea that we are not alone. The way Jesus and God are close to each other, that's the type of unity that he wants for the church. That's the type of unity that he wants for you and I, that we're one, that we're in this together. And so when we feel offended, what Romans 14 says is this, who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master? He stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So what that verse says is like, you don't have to prop that person up. You don't have to be like kind of crossing your arms saying, mm, I really don't think they should be doing that because it's like, no, God will make him stand. Don't be the judge. What it's sort of like is my kids, uh, we call in church, we call each other brother and sister. And with my kids, what will often happen is they go and they're like, Abby did this, Claire did this, hey, uh, Juliana, you shouldn't be doing this, Emma Jane, watch out, don't do this. I know, I have a lot of girls. You're like, are those all his girl names? Yes, they're all my girls' names. 
Emma Jane, don't do that. Abby, what are you doing? And so they'll all parent each other. And when my kids parent each other, it goes really, really wrong. What I tell them is like, no, you're not. Your job isn't to be a parent. Your job is to be the sister, to be the friend who can listen when something goes wrong, to encourage, to say, how can I help you? To say, sister, I love you. We speak that over our kids almost every single day because it's such a big idea. And brother and sister is the language that we kind of throw around in the church, but that's really meaningful and significant language of that's my brother. I'm rooting for him to do well. I'm not judging him when he falls. That's my sister. I want the best for her. How can I help her? What does she need in life right now? You see, the vision of our church, it's on the announcement video every week. It's on that wall right back there. I've seen it so many times, I have it memorized. And you probably do it too. And the vision is this. Pastor Ross helps us move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Oh, wait, sorry. Vision is, Kim Swafford helps us move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Wait, wait, it's Rob Stennett helps us move from where we are to where God wants us to be. No, it's we. Everyone say we. We help people move from where they are to where God wants us to be. And so that means that for everyone in this room, there are certain things that there's a call of God in your life and someone sitting in this room right now or someone who's sitting in this room in the next service will help you in God's call in your life. That means for many of you in this room, I have a call in my life and you're going to help me reach that call in my life. We're going to help people go and kind of run towards those things. Because there's two types of cultures. There's the type of culture that goes and really encourages each other And there's the type of culture that, like, picks each other apart. When I was in college, we were playing intramural basketball, and so I was with a bunch of friends, and we were kind of like, we were were decent at basketball, but I was the shortest one, and they were like, okay, there were three leagues. There was the A League, there was the B League, and there was the C League. And the A League was like, man, I'm good. Like, I should be on the college squad. I'm good. The B League was like, hey, I'm I'm pretty decent. And the C League was like, basketball? (laughs) And so uh, I was there, and we were signing up, and I was like, man, we're good. I'm going to sign us up for A-League. And so I put us in there, and all my friends were like, what league did you sign us up for? And I was like, A-League. And they're like, Rob. I was like, we got this. We went out in the court, and we started getting killed. It was like bad passes. It was bad shots. It was us finger-pointing at each other the whole game. Why did you do that? What are you doing? And we were just nitpicking at each other the whole time. Finally, it was halftime. We were there, and uh, we brought each other around. We all kind of looked at each other. We're like, we're friends. We're in this game together. We signed up this, not because we had a chance of winning, because we wanted to have fun. What if we just played for this to have fun and encourage each other? And I remember that second half, it was one of my like, best sports moments of my life. That first possession I went, I drove towards the basket. There were two guys on me. I laid it up, went in, and all my friends were like high five and cheering. We were running back down the court. And do you know what happened? We lost anyway. <laughs> but, but we had so much fun, and we won the next game. We won the next game because our attitude changed. We didn't win the championship, but we had so much more fun, and we went out, and it changed the way that we played the game, and we enjoyed it so much more. I do a lot of creative projects and work on a lot of creative teams, and I know there's two types of projects. One, where you're kind of, have you ever had to, like, pitch something to a room of people, like you've worked really hard on something, you're like, hey, this is my presentation. This is what I'm going to pitch, and this is what I'm going to work on to the team. There are two types of teams that you do that to. One type of team where you pitch something, and then everyone's like, 
mm, I don't like that. Oh, why are you doing that? Uh, it should have been me giving the presentation. And you just feel this like culture of negativity and nitpicking at you. And then there's the other type of culture, which is, hey, you're like, I'll pitch something and people will start being like, yeah, that's a good idea. What if we did this? Oh, they're encouraging and we're dreaming and we're collaborating together. And those are the type of teams that I've been on where we've accomplished the most. Because we're not, we're not saying, oh, what did this person do wrong? We're like, how can we together do something right? You see, to really get through this, this whole chapter, what it's about is a perspective issue. And the foundational issue is in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we go way back to Genesis, Genesis 2:15 says this, the Lord God took a man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so there's two types of trees in the garden, one which they'll eat from and it will get, give them life, it will be life-giving. The other type of tree which is all based on knowledge, of good and evil, and it's this certain perspective. And so here's ways in your own life and in your own heart that you can see if you're eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is characterized by a lack of innocence. It's where your heart becomes hardened and it makes you respond out of mistrust. Number two, the thing that's characterized is victimization. Where you become poisoned by the injustices around you and so you respond out of hurt, resentment, or bitterness. And this victimization thing is just like, oh man, I, every, you're kind of looking for the offense. You're kind of like, have you ever like had that family dinner or been around that person where you're like walking on eggshells? You're sort of like, someone says something around the table and you're like, oh, don't say that. You're going to offend them. That, that's kind of what we're talking about here of like, Thir rule number three is a legalistic, self-righteous mindset. It sets you up to be the only one who's right, and you have to have things done your own way. Number four, your relationship with God is based on a list of do's and don'ts. And if your relationship is based on a list of like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, I better not do this. I have to do this. I'm telling you, you will burn out in your faith. It will not last. I've been around church for a long time. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've seen so many things where it's like people are white knuckling it through their faith. And that's what their relationship with God is. I got to do this. I can't do this. I have to do this. And if your whole relationship, I'm not saying there's not choices, but if your relationship with God is based on, on every action that you make, it will fall apart. Number five, creating a value system or standards that you live by and then expect others to live by as well. So if you're creating those things and like, hey, this is the right way, and sometimes it's, I mean, I, we have culture in the stent at home, we have culture in one chapel, and so it's good to like have that list of things, but if you're like, hey, this is the exact way that you should live, and this is the exact standards that you should live, and it's kind of unspoken, uh, it really can go wrong. So that's what the things look like to live out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what's the other perspective? Well, this is choosing to live out of the tree of life. When we choose to respond from the tree of life, these things, it's characterized by this. Number one, it's characterized by innocence. 
You look at people in situations with eyes of innocence, willing to trust and take risks. So you don't walk into a relationship, you don't walk into a friendship, you're not walking around church like, oh man, what's going to go wrong? You're just sort of like, I'm expecting the best. I'm believing the best out of other people. Tree of life number two is having a clean conscience where you're free from offenses and you have a light heart. You have that clean conscience where it's like, okay, I know who I am. I know who God's created me. I've taken all those offenses and given them to God, and so I'm clean. I'm okay. And then when things do go wrong, tree of life, the life-giving way to respond to something is number three, you're refusing to judge others or to hold others to your own expectations or your standards. Number four, your relationship with God is not being based out of a list of do's and don'ts, but out of love and thankfulness for what he has done for you. And so that's really what it looks like to live out of the tree of life. And a lot of times Romans 14 is a pretty famous chapter and there's a lot of things that are spoken out of it. But really, if you look into most scriptures, the top uh, heading before you even get to the chapter, the way this uh, chapter is summed up is the strong and the weak. And so there will be, there are some in this room who are stronger in their faith, who are living, who've been living in it longer. There are some in this room who are brand new to their faith and been called to live things out. This is how the church was designed, to have people who are strong and who are weak. And the even deeper answer is there are certain areas where you're really strong in your faith, and there are other areas where you're like, man, I'm struggle. I'm good at this, good at this, but man, this one right here is a struggle for me. And so when we're strong in certain areas and weak in certain areas, what God calls us to is to lift each other up, is to push each other on. So once again, I want to look at Romans 14 and then kind of read it from the message, which, like I said, was written in American, written in really common language so we can understand it. And so it says this, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do something or say something you don't agree with even when it seems they're strong on opinions but weak in faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. It's a pretty profound um, way for us to look at those things. And so the New Living Translation says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or what they think is wrong. The word accept means to welcome, to receive, and to not exclude. So that's kind of what we're called to. We're called to really love each other. We're called to really accept each other. This doesn't mean that we're um, accepting of absolutely everything. There are certain things where it's like, hey, I see something there or whatever else, but our first response should be building that relationship with someone up, really building that trust, really building that acceptance. I think what's so important there is he talks about each one of them has their own history. That means every person in this room has a history. You have a backstory that you're bringing into things. And when you fully understand that history and backstory, it's so much easier to speak into someone else's life. And when someone else really understands your history and backstory, like, okay, you know me. You know my character. You know who I am. It's easier to have them speak into your life. That's the foundation of everything that we're talked here. We're talking about loving one another. I was at a wedding yesterday, and it was a... Landon, who plays the keys right here, Kirsty, who plays the guitar, they were getting married yesterday, and it was this beautiful ceremony, and uh, we read Romans, uh, or sorry, we read 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and so I want to read it one more time uh, for all of us here, 
And it's the, it, when we talk about loving one another, this is how the Bible defines love. It says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And we read that a lot in weddings, but we don't always read this verse in church services. And when we think about this, we're like, oh, this is how I love a spouse. This is how I love a significant other. But I want to highlight to you, this verse was written by a single man. And so this verse was written like, no, this is how we're supposed to treat everyone with that patience, with not being proud, with not being self-seeking. That's what it really means to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. So what I want us to do today is I'm going to invite us to actually take a few moments here. And the worship team, is the worship team in here? Uh, worship team, you can go ahead and start coming forward. And we're going to end a little earlier today because I want to invite everyone to take a few moments. And uh, I want us to just think about these sort of things. If there are things that, as I've been speaking, offenses or things that you've taken on, maybe it's with someone in this room or maybe it's someone else in your life. But if those offenses are there and what happens with offenses is they kind of build up like a tea kettle. It's like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then eventually these offenses come screaming out of you one way or another. Maybe it may be at the person directly, or maybe maybe a coworker, a friend, a spouse, who kind of gets the other end of that offense. And so if that's happened to you, if there's something that you've been carrying around and you just want to lift up to God this morning, what I'm going to invite is for all of our uh, prayer team to come up here and then, uh, yeah, you guys can go ahead and come on up here, prayer team. And then just take a moment and pray with people. Take a moment and pray for, okay, God, I want to give this offense up to you. I want to get this thing that's kind of been, I've been holding on to. I just want to lift it up to you. And then another thing I want to invite us to do is there's another way you can respond to this message is we have these cards right here. And they're on every chair. It's a Supper for Six card, and it's just like, it's kind of your name, and it just says, hey, I'm interested in leading a group, I'm interested in co-leading, or I'm interested in joining. And if you haven't been offended for a while, it would be great for you to join a group. <laughs> because listen, One Chapel, we are designed to move with each other, and that means we have to be in community with each other. We have to be, it's amazing. I was talking with Luke this morning and talking about how life can be so busy and how sometimes if we have that community that we just stop, we share a meal, we talk about things, that what can happen is like it can unearth different things and it can be like, hey, I'm, I'm processing this in my faith and other people who can lift you up and who can help you to God's call in your life. So we're gonna take this moment and sing this song. I invite you to go ahead and everyone stand up. And just take a moment, and if there's anything, any sort of thing that you've been holding on in your heart, we don't often do kind of altar calls where we take a whole song. We're not doing communion today. So I want to just invite you to take a few moments and pray with someone up here. If there's anything, any wounds, any cuts, and maybe it's the person who's not in this room, but it's like, God, I need to give this up to you because you can only heal those wounds, those offenses, those cuts. And so I'm going to pray, and we're just going to take a few moments Worship in your chairs.
and come up here and pray during this uh, song. Lord Jesus, we lift you up. We say we thank you that everyone in this room, Lord, that we know that we can trust you and we can love you. We say we lift up any hurts, we lift up any offenses, Lord, any things that have been taking our eyes off you and making us look around at other faces or other things in our life, Lord. Those things that have been holding a space in our hearts or our heads, Lord. We want to give them up to you. So be with us this morning. In your name, amen.